Welcome to the 88th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about Ken's side project, building a Kubernetes cluster on Raspberry Pis. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migration, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. When you need the experts from the Practical Operations Podcast on your team, find us at 42lines.net. So I think we misspoke slightly. Ken, you're not actually using Raspberry Pis, are you? No, they are Rock 64 um, boards. Uh, the company Pine64 makes them. Uh, they are a 64-bit uh, ARM V8 board, physically very similar to the Pis, Raspberry Pis. But they're different chipsets. Um, I bought them for a other project years about a year year and a half ago, um, which the project at that point was to learn Elastic Search um, with multiple instances. And um, I, it's I bought it from the company called Pico Cluster. Um, and I'm going to digress a little because I really want to throw these guys thumbs up. I I bought it as a kit boards the acrylic uh, pieces, the wiring, the switch, the power supply, everything, and didn't do such a hot job putting it together and had a hot and ground cross somewhere. When I put power to it, I fried a lot, um, including three, three of the boards. Oops. And I contacted them and said, hey, did something wrong. They, after some back and forth in the email, they said, pack it all up, send it to us, we'll put it together, and send it back and fix whatever's broken. And they did just that. Um, w repaired the whole thing, built it. And in, let's face it, it was a, essentially my mistake that killed everything. So the that kind of customer service, I just really want to applaud it and really want to say, that's a company you ought to do business with. Um, I didn't get anything else out of it. I haven't talked to them since. It was just that fantastic. Um, and the link will be in the show notes. But anyways. That is really awesome. Yeah. yeah these it, are success stories you want to hear. You know, so many times you get hosed by companies and they don't want to deal with you or whatever. And this guy was absolutely fantastic. Couldn't have been more pleasant, knowledgeable, and so helpful. So um, anyways, I bought the cluster to work on Elasticsearch. Um, in their infinite wisdom, they have abandoned ARM as a platform. It sat doing nothing for a while, and recently I got assigned to a new customer doing a lot of Kubernetes work, and I didn't know anything about Kubernetes, hadn't used it before. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not so good at learning reading stuff. So, I mean, I got Kubernetes up and running, and I'm re reading it, but I really need to play with something, and I really need to get my, come up with a project, I mean, a, a something to get working. Um, and I thought of the cluster collecting dust and said, hey, let me see if there's any information about getting Kubernetes running on Pies. Sure enough, I found a guy who had a project or a, a blog post about getting a Kubernetes cluster up on Rock 64 boards. Um, That's really convenient. <laughs> yeah. So um, I also included that. That's in the show notes. Um, the fellow's name is Carlos Eduardo. 
and he detailed absolutely everything, put it in a GitHub repo. We can check out all the, the code. And so that was the starting point. However, his stuff was out of date as happens a lot on the net and has taken me quite a bit to, to get it to where I wanted it. Um, again, I didn't know Kubernetes and you run into a lot of things that are written for x86 and this isn't it. So I have to adapt some stuff for the ARM boards. Also, you got to work with their limitations. Um, no storage. I mean, they have some, but not enough to use it for anything. So you have to, I've, I've mapped in um, some ZFS that's shared out with NFS. You mean that the Rock 64 boards have no storage? Yeah, they have, I mean, they have, you use SD cards. They have as much storage as you want to put in SD cards, but it's slow. They're prone to failures. You really don't want to put too much on them. Um, so yeah, instead especially of things that do actual IO, right? It's it's excruciatingly slow. And the um, Carlos's blog included using NFS, and so that's what I've done. But that also takes time. So it's it's been really really interesting and a really good learning process. Um, I think I've mentioned it in one of the previous episodes. Kubernetes is Linux 30 years ago. It is Linux. It's the kernel. You get it, it's on there, and you can't do anything else. And that's really what it was. I ran, you know, once Kubernetes Here are all the was pieces. A... Good luck putting yeah. it together. <laughs> and that, Here's that's a nickel, it. kid. Go out and buy yourself a better... Oh, wait. Yeah. You know, I, I, it took next to nothing before I was able to do a kook control and see that, oh, I have five nodes. It's all working. Now what? Oh, there's no DNS. Oh, there's no networking. Oh, there's no... Ingress proxy. Just... There's no scheduler. Yeah. There's no... Exactly. Load balancer. Yep. So, uh, but that, he, Carlos has had, had the YAMLs and the instructions and, you know... Yes, most of them didn't work first try, but they were a great starting point uh, to start building on and getting it going. Um, and it's been it's been interesting. And, and while in quarantine, a good good project to have to keep me occupied. Yes, while deep in the COVID nineteen quarantine. Actually, I did want to bring that up about the um, the Pico cluster folks. When you have a small business like that that is doing amazing customer service, especially in times like these when we're quarantined and things are looking a little bizarre. That's the kind of business that is going to really be hit hard. So yeah. 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 Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled ranting. One of the things that I find really interesting about your project, Ken, is that basically Kubernetes takes Docker containers or container formats and then runs them. And there's nothing about Docker that is magic to x86. You know, you can run it on ARM just fine. And in the last episode, I had mentioned that I was looking for the Rancher OS, and I realized I mis I'd misspoken. I was actually using Nomad's, um, I was using HashiCorp's Nomad program before to run Docker containers on Raspberry Pis. And I checked before the show, and they're still building and maintaining 32 and 64-bit containers to run Docker containers. So it's definitely something that the people are doing. But when you want to get, the full stack of Kubernetes so you can kind of evaluate and learn and understand, you have to get the full stack. And I, I see where your pain comes from there. Yeah, that was yeah. my sort of thing is, is Docker seems to assume x86-64 at this point. 
what I've discovered is it assumes nothing. <laughs> well, isn't Kubernetes written in Go? Everybody else assumes x86-64, but it is it makes no assumptions. It there's no uh, and I, somebody somebody can write in and tell me I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to have any concept of the architecture. It gets whatever you've asked for. Yeah, so Docker's just using C groups and process namespaces and kernel functions, right? So as long as you yeah. can have that wrapper wrapper on the kernel functions and the kernel fun functions exist on the build that you're using, it should work, right? Right. And I haven't run into any weirdness at that level. I had to um, make some changes just because the project that I was following was older and had to um, update a couple things to use system D instead of C group FS. Uh -huh, that old friend system D. Yes, um, because it's better at it. <laughs> and of course it is. Just, yeah. Um, but other than that, there's nothing Kubernetes cared about as far as the architecture goes. What I've run into is the problem is Docker doesn't know architecture. So when you say, give me the this container, you'll get this image, it gets that image. And if the image was built with x86-64 only, then you're... It gets it, and I have gotten an error of exec format so many times with stuff because I had it. You have to the packager has to have included the ARM build and tagged it with ARM somehow, and where you can figure out what tags he's used if they're there to go download Ugh. it. And, and otherwise, you're downloading the Docker file yourself and then compiling the container from source yourself. Right, and it, one thing uh, Pies are not good at is compiling anything. Well, what? they can do it. <laughs> I remember In installing a week or so. some variant of FreeBSD on a Ultra 10, I don't know, 15 years ago. <clears throat> so they were out of support by Sun at that point significantly, but they were still interesting enough. And trying to yeah, recompile... Yeah, these used to be good boxes to experiment with Linux on. But trying to mm -hmm. recompile stuff, especially things that were, that were like low-level networking, things that were assuming x86 and Intel networking chips on Spark was not trivial. Yeah. And this sounds very much like that. I took a stab at one of the, the containers I needed of compiling it myself, um, doing the Docker build. I didn't... It was a Python-based um, utility, so I didn't have to do much actual compiling. But then what I ran into is Docker doesn't want to download from repos. It can download from the localhost repo just fine, but it won't download any others without the whole SSL stack being built and certificates being built properly. <laughs> it will not go plain text or it really doesn't well, you've want gotta to You've got to be secure. Go. You're reaching out to the real internet and you're on an embedded device that, oh yeah. Yeah. And I can't fault them for it, but it really made testing and building my own stuff. I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to – I punted and went scouring Docker Hub for the same uh, project with just with another packager that had uh, ARM64. As a brief and I found aside, it, but – Yeah, as a brief aside, the, um, the whole push recently for, like, I think Apple's doing this with Safari of – further shortening the validity of browser certificate life, life life cycles and all the other things. Yes, it's good for security, but it makes other things really hard and really frustrating. And 
I don't know anybody in operations who enjoys rotating SSL certificates or <laughs> trying to figure out, so when did I register that and who did I register that with and, yeah. and what's the bit for that? And, oh. and it sounds yeah, like that pain. For our case here, we need to be better at building a localized test environment, which you know, sort of air gaps us from the internet. Because I take it, Ken, this is not something you want anywhere near the internet. No, I was, I, I was, I wanted to run the repo on another machine of mine. Since I was doing a cluster, each, you know, it would download from localhost, literally localhost. Each node ran its own repo, <laughs> and no, I could do it if I pre-populated every each one of them with my container. And I'm just, oh. I got to the point. I'm not. These are too many hoops to jump through. I'm gonna. Step back and try something else. It's supposed to be the magic of Kubernetes. You're not supposed to run the repo in every contain every <laughs> I know. rocks board. Mr. Goldberg, I have your machine. And it's ready for pickup. Also, their arms. Man, I, the more you make them do, the, the less horsepower you've got. They don't have a lot. So adding to the re- local repos un- un- unnecessarily just didn't make sense. So yeah, you got- and you want a cluster that's powerful enough to actually accomplish some right. real learning on. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't take much for those to get overloaded. So that was that was another yay, this is fun. Um but I was able to find the same project with tagged as ARM sixty four and, and able to get it. Uh it meant that I had the work I was moving was already previously running on um just straight Docker on an X eighty six sixty four but I couldn't just move the config over anymore. Um, it used an encoded configuration and the backup wouldn't restore. So I had to, that took almost as much time as anything else as getting the application reconfigured one click at a time. That sounds terrible. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Part of the fun. But as far as a learning Kubernetes, it was it's been fantastic, and I, I, I don't claim to know Kubernetes, but I, again, I I was learning by, here's a target. I want to get this working, and I have gotten that working, and now I'm like looking at, okay, what can I do to make it better? What is the next step to learn from? One of the things is I haven't figured out is how to expose Kubernetes DNS. You know, it's assigning IP addresses, and, and they've gotten, it's running in DNS internally, the assign this service to this DNS, this IP address, and works internally, but I can't get at that from outside the cluster yet, which, you know, I can't, without knowing the IP, I can't get to my my thing, my um, application. And the IP you can address set up some multi-horizon DNS and, and, and be done with that. Well, aren't the right? IPs assigned ephemerally when things come up and go down? Yeah. <laughs> so you do need DNS so you can find things. Well, interesting. One of the things I have learned is services are separate from pods, and services are hold the the uh, external IP address that's used, and that doesn't go up and down with pods. So, so you can manually pull each time, I can, which is less bad, but it's still not what you need. Yep. I would prefer to be able to on on the proxy server outside say, "Here's the name," and have the DNS forwarding anything for the Kubernetes subdomain to kubernetes who says oh here's the address and i've seen stuff that that's doable i just haven't gotten there yet but again it's great 
a great target to help learn how to, how everything works. There are a lot of moving parts here, and and probably the best way to learn Kubernetes to this level is is cut out that DNS part. Okay, I'm going to figure out how DNS works within the cluster, externally to the cluster, via services and proxies to yeah. you know break off a bite sized chunk. Yeah, or then go back and reinstall DNS and then figure out how to plumb it in correctly. Because again, and it's Kubernetes. Said, which DNS? There are two main ones that get used. There are two, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> and this is how you this is how you learn because you have a realistic thing you're trying to actually get done. And as you said, we all really learn best by doing. You, we can read a book. You can go, you can take a class. You can listen yeah. to somebody else talk about it. Yeah, I can read a book, but I need to work the examples in the book. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's yeah. the doing. And so. It's best to have a personal project, that, an itch that you actually want to scratch, because that's what's going to motivate you to get through the the kind of boring, stupid other parts that otherwise would be like, well, I need to learn this, but there's nothing to do. Uh, whatever, I'm just going to do it later. Yeah, in the course of a couple of weekends, I've learned so much more about Kubernetes than I would have sitting down and reading the book or watching some videos or whatever. It's been wonderful because you also make mistakes. Which is where you really learn anyways. Yeah, you make mistakes, then you got to go fix it. Yeah. And who's yeah. on tap for fixing it? You. you. Well, as a pro tip to listeners, one of the things that I always do when I'm following the examples, either on a you know website guide of some kind or in a book, is I change all the base names of things. Absolutely. Just to make sure that I know when I'm... I'm not just blindly typing things in. I have to think about what did I change that thing to? What 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 port number did I use? What, what assignment did I use here? Yeah, you actually know how it's all interconnected that way. Well, and it, it means that when you break something, you can't just go look at the book and see what it's supposed to be. You have to then go figure out what you did wrong. And that is a much more valuable teaching tool to me than just copying and pasting. Yeah, I, I was using Kubernetes Up and Running, which is a really good book. And, and they use a uh, container as a demo through the whole book. Um, and... They make they create lots of different pods, doing different things with this basic con container, and it's a nginx with a little bit of extra juice in there for displaying a few things. But it was just similar enough that it was a great starting point for what I was doing. But like you said, I had to change all the names because I wasn't using that. I had to change port numbers because my application used a different port, and it was yeah didn't get things right first try or second or third. And that's a better teaching tool when you don't get yeah. things right. And you have to then go figure out, what did I do? Yeah. So it's been it's been very interesting. You know, somebody would probably think I'm crazy for saying it's been fun. to, But it's been, I like to learn. And it was, it gave me a goal. It gave me something new. And now I also have something running, which, you know, as engineers, there's nothing better than building something. Yeah. So much of our lives is virtual. And you don't get to see a tangible output of anything. And the idea that you can look over and say, oh, I have this little cluster. And I know that that thing is running Kubernetes and I made it work. And if you were to get I up. I always used to love uh, being able to go down to the server room and rack mount some servers, route some cables, do something when I was frustrated at work that I could actually see some progress with my hands. And yeah, yeah that's hard now. It is so much as now. VMs off in the cloud someplace. Everything's VMs. Well, I guess Lambdas this stuff is too. And <laughs> magical pixie dust. I mean, lambdas are just just code running on VMs somewhere that, that boot really fast. It's just a virtual machine somewhere. Is that Docker image in memory or not? 
So I'm far from done, but I have I have a running running project and it's doing something real for me and I get to see the outcome and it's when I shut down the old one and dropped the containers and it was incredibly satisfying. And yeah. it's taken a while. I think I've mentioned it here multiple multiple episodes that I've been working on this. It's not been fast. Um but the the lockdown definitely picked up the pace. I mean, if it's not hard, it's not worth doing in some senses, or it's not worth learning because if it's if it's really simple or really straightforward, it it's not satisfying. So sometimes it's really good to really have something you have to challenge yourself with. Yeah, I was completely unfamiliar with Kubernetes other than basically what it did before I got started. I mean, I've used Docker and reasonably familiar with it, but that's only what kubernetes runs for you it's does so much else around it um and i had something that uses needs storage it needs configuration and data storage um which again with the pies uh, hey that was a whole nother level of complexity to add into it data so persistence been... is always a problem it's always a problem yeah. <laughs> uh that five letter word state yes so I'm curious how the, the these Rock 64 boards compare to the new Raspberry Pis, the Raspberry Pi fours. As much as I'm into Pis, I haven't bought any fours yet. Really, it is very very equivalent. Um, so the the Rock 64s are 1.5 gigahertz quad core ARM eight. They're they've got a real um, bus as opposed to everything being on the USB bus like the older Pis are, not the fours. Um, giggy, four gig of RAM. Well, you can get them one, two, or four. The ones I have are four. Um, the specs are really, really similar, um, other than the actual processors. And um, the no USB-C on the Rock 64s are a little older. Um, and I, it's hard. I'd love to get a four, but I've got the Rock 64s, and I just haven't had a project that I'm willing to do to buy the four yet i'm also finding as much as i like the arms there's there's a few x86 base pies floating around and they're so much more versatile because you don't have to then fight architecture issues um one of them being i'm a big zealot on and user of zfs x86 64 only and yeah why would you run zfs on a pie eh, fun you can make it do things. A while ago, you were, you guessed it on an episode about single board computers, and you had mentioned that you had an Atomic Pi. Is that it? Is that right? Yes, yes. That's it's. It is. It's a weird thing. That's it, the Pi name is bad for it because it it's not similar to a Pi. It's a different form factor, um, and it's an orphan from a kid's toy that it was an add-on board that then got bought and reloaded and. But they're, they're true x86-64s. They're an Intel chip, and they're $35 now. It's got 4 gig, giggy, um, getting power to it squirrely. It doesn't have a regular power connector. It is a totally different animal from the Pi, but once you get it set up, it's just EFI. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll, throw, we'll throw some links in the show notes also to these x86 boards. Um, I'm I'm always kind of on the lookout for the thing to replace my espresso machines um sensor stuff and I 
I'm really close to buying myself a Raspberry Pi 4. But if I can do it with x86 and save myself a little bit of pain, I might have to do that. There is one that I am like hitting refresh on their site every couple days because it was announced almost a year ago and they've had delays and issues, but it was advertised as Pi form, physical form factor. It's an Intel chip. It's an x86-64, and their claim is going to be about 45 to $55. That's not bad. It's it's the Rock Pi X. Uh, they are a legit company. They've got lots of other projects, products out there already. They've just run into some problems with this board, which could grief producing an, an Intel-based board at that price and size. I'm, I'm impressed already. Um and I'm hoping they actually get to production and release one. I will buy one or two immediately just to try them out because I've got a couple things. Like I have a <clears throat> a printer that the driver is it's you know good old HP binary driver that's x86 64, and I want to. It's an old printer. It doesn't have networking, and I want to hang it off a of Pi and as a print server so that I don't have to plug it to a machine on my desktop. Mm-hmm. There are some things where you kind of need that architecture, or or not kind of, you do. Um, but the Atomic Pies are, are so awesome. So actually, can you do mixed architecture Kubernetes clusters? I have seen, uh, I saw a couple um, pages when I was poking around looking for guides and stuff, claiming that you can. I, mean, uh, I believe it's paints. using annotations to steer things to specific nodes. Yeah, I was thinking like with, with affinities and taints, you could probably tag your nodes and, and tag your containers and say, these these workloads go here and these workloads go there. Yeah. And if you're careful about scheduling. I think that's I think that's how it's done. It's like, I'm but sure you can, but I haven't seen one in practice yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Well, most people who are running these things, A, they're running them in the cloud, and B, if they're running them in a data center, it's because they've got you know a stack full of Dell blades somewhere running ESX or VMware, and they've bootstrapped, or even just running Linux on them directly, and they've bootstrapped Kubernetes that way. They're not People generally don't do this as a hobbyist because it's overkill. I mean, Ken, your, your case here is you're trying to learn it, but there's a reason that people don't run it at home for casual projects. GKE on-prem. I actually looked into that. Um, it, it has a new name. Anthos, I think, is the name. I think that's how you pronounce it. Oh, no, they didn't change the name, did they? Yeah. They um, that certificate. And it's a, it's a subscription. And they really want you to buy into the subscription. And then you can use their special sauce to bridge everything and do all the, all the stuff. So Yeah, it's just the google gke management stuff that you can wrap around your own hardware basically well it, it's more than that because you can have your data center nodes and you can have the google cloud nodes sharing workloads so you can have local storage and local um working nodes, those kinds of things and use their management plane mm -hmm. and communicate with it and then have workloads on both sides mm -hmm. and it's really cool it's really and think really about cool. it as a way of migrating off on-prem yeah, but you get it. that's what it's for. But you can't yeah. just say, "Oh, well, I want to, I want to use your controller plane here." No, that doesn't work that way. Because that would, of course, be nice. not. Can't make money that way. So if you were to, but this was, sorry, if you were to rebuild this cluster, or you were to 
to expand it or to do something else, to do this over again now that you've learned what you've learned in this process, what would you change? I'm not sure anything yet because I'm not that there's that you don't know enough to know what you don't know. I, I, I'm just getting rolling and I don't know what's wrong with what I've done, what I'm going to run into where this was a bad idea. I'm going to need to rework things because right now my workload is very simple, simple. I've got one pod with two containers. I didn't even really want, I didn't want them in the same pod because I wanted the two containers to go to different nodes so that they're using less horsepower, but I had networking issues that I couldn't surmount, and in the same pod, they're able to talk to each other without any issues. Okay. Um, so I don't know yet. Um, I do know that it installed kubeDNS because I don't know where that came. You know, it was part of the um, cube admin that I used, and everything's moving towards core DNS. There is a way of migrating, and I'm considering. I was just reading one of the docs the, last night about migrating from kubeDNS to CoreDNS because I thought it might ease my ability to query the Kubernetes DNS from outside. Um, but it's that you know, it's all building blocks, and you get to choose what you build with. And I, as of yet, don't know if I've made the wrong choice. Um, but again, for learning, it's been fantastic because it's a concrete goal using these tools, and it's and it's practical for me. The outcome is something I'm and using. And it works. And right now it works. It was quite satisfying last night when I had the first full-blown success. It felt awesome. Awesome. Because it's been a month or so that I've been tinkering on and off. That is really cool. How long did it take you to build your elk cluster on that, on those rocks machines? That went a lot quicker um, because I really only had to get the elastic packages installed with just a vanilla load. Um, and at the time, I had been doing elastic for pay for a while and had a much deeper knowledge. So it was a little easier. Um, at that point, it wasn't, I didn't, my base goal wasn't to learn Elastic, was our environment was very rigid and it was to be able to practice upgrading not on work machines because I couldn't do it on the work machines. Yeah, and you need a, a multi, you need multiple clusters multi-node to be able to test that particular environment's um, exactly. shenanigans, I think is the best word for it. <laughs> shenanigans, yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good choice. But yeah, setting up your own Kubernetes cluster in your own house on ARM, that's pretty cool. Doesn't take up a lot of space, doesn't take up a lot of electricity, and provided a mountain of learning. Oh, yeah. You go to a meetup or you know a conference talk that you can just hold the thing up in your hand and say, this thing is now running your, your Kubernetes cluster, and that's a, a powerful visual. Yep. You can go to a conference and just hold the thing up and see this thing. <laughs> Please take the time to rate this show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. Again, we would like to thank 42 Lions for sponsoring this episode. When you need the experts from the Practical Operations Podcast, look us up. 
42lines.net. And that wraps it up for the 88th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. DNS is always the problem. <laughs>